You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last sermon in our parables series. Um, so we've been here all throughout the summer, and with the calendar finally turning to fall, um, we're going to transition away from the parables and into the book of Exodus. So we'll have application Sunday next week. Encourage you to come and be a part of breakfast before we get ramped up with our service. Um, but then we will jump into uh, the book of Exodus the following week. So excited about uh, what the Lord has in store for us. Last week we were looking, if you weren't here, at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We said it's a little different than the normal parables because uh, a character is named, which is not normal in the other parables. We don't see that anywhere else. And so it makes you wonder, is it a true story or is it a true parable? Not really sure. And we said it didn't really matter um, because the, the truths are what really are, are what we need to hang on to. And we said last week, if God's word does not impact us to use our money for more than our own comfort and instead for the hope of others as well, then we should assume we are on a path to eternal torment, separated from the riches of his kingdom. Um, that's what we see in the parable. We see that the rich man had everything and that Lazarus, the poor man, had uh, little to nothing. Um, and we see that both give an account or a reckoning for what they've done with their lives. Um, and we, we said last week a whole list of things that the parable should cause us to consider. I just want to read back through a few of those. We won't read all of them, but um, the parable should cause us to pause and consider the eternal ramifications of our normal pattern for responding to the word. We talked about how the rich man would have heard God's word and failed to respond to it, just as the Pharisees were failing to do when the parable was presented. We said that it should cause us to pause and consider what we are ultimately rich in and how we are using the stuff given to us. And so we want to be rich in good works. And one of the ways that we are rich in good works is we use the stuff that we often think about being rich in. We use that for God's glory. We should pause and consider the needs of individuals we see regularly. We said that the the uh, Lazarus was positioned intentionally at the gate of the, the rich man because it would have been understood that he could have helped if he wanted to. And so who knows how long, how many days, or how often the rich man saw him, but he failed to help him. We need to be mindful that there are people in our life that we can help that we probably see regularly. To pause and consider how the conditions of the afterlife will be set and cannot be altered. We see the discussion about um, the rich man wanting Lazarus to come and relieve him, to, to extend some type of mercy or grace. And Abraham talks about that being forbidden in the afterlife. Uh, pausing in and considering the conversations we want to have with loved ones now while we have the chance. He talks about wanting to go back and warn his brothers and being unable to do so. And we said lastly that it should cause us to pause and consider how the doctrine of hell should keep us living the faith rather than leaving it. Sometimes people want to argue that um, the, the concept of hell and God don't mesh, and so they want to leave the faith. Uh, instead, what we should see is that the doctrine of hell should keep us in the faith. It should keep us pursuing Christ, because ultimately that is what awaits those who reject him in the end. We come today to our last parable that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 12, We'll start reading in verse 54. The parable that we're actually going to look at is in chapter 13. So we're going to finish off chapter 12, read into chapter 13. And you'll probably remember that um, we've already looked at one of the parables in chapter 12. Um, and so reminding you of the context there, there was a lot of discussion about um, the, uh, the, the wisdom of uh, over-investing in this life and worrying too much about the things that we wear and the things that we eat and the things that we do and trying to be rich in this world. We talked about the rich fool 
uh, from Luke chapter 12. We talked about not being anxious for those type of things. Instead, we looked at verse 35 and down, how we're to be ready for the return of Christ, that it could come at any time. And so we need to keep our lamps burning. We need to be mindful of his return. We need to be found faithful when he returns because it's the faithful people that would be given more to be faithful with in the afterlife. And so we come now down to chapter 12, verse 54, remembering that context of where we've just been, uh, him reminding us to be alert for his return. And it says, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Then we see the parable in verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if, I should, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Our summary sentence for today, the spiritual weather forecast tells us that our time is short and that we need to be urgent about repenting and bearing fruit as there is coming a day when we will be held accountable, a day that all tragedies and deaths point us to. The spiritual weather forecast tells us that our time is short and that we need to be urgent about repenting and bearing fruit as there is coming a day when we will be held accountable, a day that all tragedies and deaths point us to. For our kids, God will hold us accountable for how we lived our life for him. What we saw in Luke chapter 12 in previous sermons, and then even reading back through some of it today, Luke chapter 12 is about staying awake because Jesus could come back at any moment. Staying awake because Jesus could come back at any moment. Luke chapter 13 carries that idea a little bit further and basically the idea being stay alert because you could die at any second, right? Stay awake because Jesus could come at any moment. Stay alert because you could die at any second. We're never guaranteed tomorrow to do what we ought to do today. We're never guaranteed tomorrow to do what we ought to do Today, that's kind of the theme that's running through both of these chapters. Hey, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus could come back today and put an end to all temporal things now. Or you may not have a tomorrow. You may die today. Your soul may be called to account today. And so Jesus is telling everybody that's listening at this time, pay attention, listen, stay awake, stay alert. Do what you need to do today. Do what you ought to do today. You're not promised tomorrow. 
We'll look and see what he says here at the end of chapter 12 in verse 54 by looking at point number one for us today. Be aware of the spiritual climate. We need to be aware of the spiritual climate. Jesus challenges them to understand the times, to understand what is happening and where we are going. This is one of those times where we have an opportunity to point us back to our study in Revelation, right? So you'll remember as we were going through Revelation, we talked a lot about where the world is going. Wherever you may fall in your understanding of eschatology and the timing of the events that we see in Scripture, what is inevitable is that things continue to deteriorate, right? Jesus is coming, but we see ultimately judgments are happening leading up to his return, right? There's, there's people falling away from the faith. There's sin that continues to mount. Uh, Satan continues to work and move behind the scenes to bring about rebellion against the king, right? These things are happening. These things are happening until Jesus comes back. We re- we'll read as we study through our D groups this, um, this school year. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness who, who is being withheld for a time, but will be released at a point in time where it's most appropriate for Jesus to come and defeat him, right? This is what is happening. World history is moving us to a great end where Jesus returns and sets up his kingship over all. We need to understand these times. Understand that life is much bigger than some of the things that we're dealing with on a weekly basis. Those things are important, yes, but they fit into a much bigger story of where everything is headed. We need to read the cosmic spiritual weather patterns to be aware of what life is and where it is going and what we ought to be doing. In the same way we look at the forecast for this week, right? We're going we're gonna to evaluate whether it's going to rain this week or whether the temperature is going to continue to drop to shape what we dress like for the remainder of this week, right? Some of you may have miscalculated today and thought, well, it's fall and so it's time to put on the fall clothes and it's, it's still kind of hot outside, right? We're going we're gonna to try to pattern our life after the weather patterns. We have multiple apps that we look at to try to gauge what is the temperature going to be like. Jesus says, hey, you guys are great at that. You're great at identifying the signs to know what the weather's going to be like. How much more should you also be great at identifying the spiritual signs? We need to read the cosmic spiritual weather patterns. In the same way we can predict earthly weather predictions, we must pattern our lives after spiritual promises because that's where we can find more guarantee. Yes, your app may tell you what the temperature is supposed to be today or whether it's supposed to rain or not, but oftentimes you get surprised, right? Hey, it wasn't supposed to rain and yet it's pouring down rain. What we don't ever think is going to happen and then have it not happen is anything in God's word. God's word are not predictions, they are promises. Second Peter chapter three. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the word that oft, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, 
And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus says, See the spiritual weather pattern. See what is coming. See the judgment that's on hand. See what you need to do in light of that coming judgment. Number one, we need to become experts in spiritual matters. We need to become experts in spiritual matters. Jesus says, look, I'm fully aware that you are experts when it comes to the weather. He says, you guys are great at it. You know when it's going to potentially rain. You know when the hot weather is coming. He says, you hypocrites, though, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The idea here is that we need to be experts in the things that matter most. All right, so let's pause here for just a second. Let me challenge you to think about your own self. What things are you the best at in your life? Just think about that for a second. Now, some of you think you're not good at anything, and that's, that's a total lie from the enemy, right? We all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have things that you're great at. Um, and and we could probably all share that with each other if if you're having trouble figuring that out. But think about the things that you are are great at, the things that somebody might call upon you to help them with, right? We all have those type of things. There's things that I'm not great at, that you are great at, and I will call upon you to help me in those times of need, right? Jesus says you're experts at certain things, but you need to be experts in the spiritual peace, What things are you the best at in your life? And are you pursuing spiritual expertise with the same resolve as you do that thing that you're good at in your life? Do we pursue being great at spiritual things in comparison to the things that we pursue being great at in earthly things? Don't be guilty of being a great predictor and adjuster of worldly things and not be the same for spiritual matters. Think about some of the things that you might have conversations with about, you know, towards others. Uh, just recently within our D groups, we've talked um, specifically as we're, as we're getting there and kind of getting started, uh, we'll talk about um, uh, house buying and selling trends, right? Where's the market at? We're trying to anticipate, is now a good time to sell our house? Do we hang on? Do we rent? Do we sell? Do we buy? What are the uh, interest rates? Are they going to go up? Or are they going to come back down, right? We're, we're trying to understand the patterns. We're trying to be predictors of that, and we want to be good at it, Right? For those of us that enjoy, enjoy outdoor activities, when we're fishing and when we're hunting, we try to anticipate when the fish bite and when the deer move, right? We don't want to waste our time at the lake or waste our time in the woods if we're not going to see anything, if we're not going to catch anything or kill anything. We want to know when do these animals move, right? So I'm not wasting my time. So we invest money in cameras that tell us picture by picture in real time when the deer are moving so that we can go to the woods at the right time. If Jesus was talking to me today, he would say, Adam, don't be great at predicting the deer movement, right? Don't be so great at the deer movement predictions that you lose sight of the spiritual piece that you're supposed to be great at predicting that too. He says, you're great at predicting the weather. Be great at predicting the spiritual things that are going on in your life as well. We need to become expertise or experts in spiritual matters. We need that expertise to move away, not just from earthly temporal things, but to spiritual eternal things. Number two, we need to become peacemakers in all relationships. In light of understanding the times and knowing that our time is short, we can't bear to be in opposition with other people, particularly our creator. 
He says in verse 57, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. Jesus says, you're smart enough to know that if you are, are trending towards guilt in a certain area, it is, it, it is wise, it behooves you to try to settle outside of court, right? Like before we ever get to court and we ever stand before a judge, let's try to get our lawyers together and see if we can settle on something that, that kind of works in my favor, admits some guilt, but kind of covers me in such a way where I don't get the full wrath of the law. Jesus says, you're smart enough to do that. Why would you not use your awareness and discernment to reconcile with God now before the great day of judgment, right? His encouragement to us is to see the spiritual trends, to see where everything is headed. We are going to give an account to God. Repent now, reconcile with him now. John chapter five, John chapter five, verse 24 says, We'll start in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus says, those who will believe, right, believe in me before the day of judgment, they will never come into judgment. They'll be spared from the wrath that they deserve. Jesus says, settle before you get to court. Settle before you get to that judgment day. Settle before your your life tragically ends or settle before Jesus unexpectedly returns. Make sure that you are right with God today. But then I think it goes on to say that we need to be willing and ready and able to reconcile with others as we are called to do as well. It's not just that we reconcile with God, but part of the ways that we show, we talked about this, Part of the ways that we show we have been reconciled to God is that we are always willing, ready, and able to reconcile with humans in our life who we are at odds with, right? We reconcile with the divine, right? We want to pursue repentance and reconciliation with God, but then uh, other men and women in our life that we are at odds with, we work to reconcile with them too. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24 reminds us that even if you're here at church today, you leave the altar and you go fix it if you know there's something wrong with another person, right? You make it right. Romans 12, 18 tells us to live at peace with all as much as it falls on you. As much as you are responsible for the situation, you live at peace with all. Be aware of the spiritual climate. We have a responsibility to be experts in spiritual matters and to become peacemakers in all of our relationships. Number two, be warned when you hear of tragedies and deaths. Chapter 13, verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This section reads like you're reading the headlines of a newspaper. It's almost as though someone's got the daily Jerusalem out and is reading about recent accounts, things that are happening around them, and how do we interpret those things in light of the times, Jesus? You're telling us to to read the signs and to understand what's happening. Well, tell us what's happening here. You've got Galileans who were going to worship, 
and were killed by Pilate. We don't know why. We don't know this, this, the context of what was happening, but it's something that they were very familiar with. Everybody seems to know the story here. They're kind of in shock by it. Galileans worshiping, their blood is shed, and it's mixed with the, the sacrifice blood that they were bringing. So in some way, they're coming to the temple, they're coming to worship, and they're, and they're killed for it. Jesus tacks onto that and says, well, you want to know about that? Think about also the tower that fell recently. Think about the tower that fell and killed those 18 people. Man, as I'm reading that, I can't help but think about tragedies and deaths that, that, that are familiar to us just recently, Right? Uh, things that we're aware of. Some of you may remember the Stapleton family that uh, we supported uh, for years while they were in Vanuatu, and their family was helping to translate the Bible into other languages there. Um, Their daughter married an individual. Uh, They got married during the COVID season, and then um, they delayed their honeymoon for a couple of years. We're celebrating their honeymoon overseas on a ski trip, and, and he had a tragic accident where it ended up resulting in him uh, experiencing frostbite and having all kinds of health challenges. Um, his legs ended up having to be amputated. And I saw a picture of him yesterday in the, um, in the airport where they're traveling back and forth to get rehab for him, right? And you look at that situation and you say, what's happening there? Like you got missionaries who have devoted their life. Like why would tragedy hit that way, right? We, we know that people have lost things recently, uh, whether it's the, the, the fire for Walmart or the fire with heirloom, like there's tragedies that have hit, maybe not the loss of life, but the loss of temporal things where things have been taken from us. Uh, financial situations have been drastically changed. That certainly would have happened in both of these cases where you've got people who were faithfully doing ministry, it seems, faithfully coming to worship, and, and they're tragically hit with Pilate, a, 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 an earthly, uh, rebellious, anti-God type of individual who will eventually kill Jesus, right? He's, he's killing these individuals. And you, and you see a tragic situation where, where a building falls and people's financial situations are altered. Jesus says, how do we process this? What, what do we do with this? Well, I think it's important that he reminds us, number one, that not all tragedies and deaths should be viewed as judgments on specific sins because that's what we are, are prone to think, right? Like if we're not careful, our minds go to this, this perspective of they must have done something. And so God is getting them for that. I think it makes us feel better in some ways because if that's happening to somebody else and not happening to us, the lie that we can then tell ourselves is that we must be okay and not guilty of the same things or it would have happened to us too, right? So we hear about these things. We're very quick to talk about these things and to speculate about these things. And we may not even verbalize it, but in our minds, oftentimes we're thinking, they must have done something to deserve that. It's the only explanation for why it would happen to somebody like that. And because it hasn't happened to me, I must not be guilty of that. Our tendency is to focus on others when bad happens. We want to know what happened and why did it, or what did they do, and how could it have been avoided so that we ourselves don't experience it. These Galileans are killed by Pilate in a worship setting. The tower in Salem falls and kills 18 people, and some people lost a business investment. Some people lost family members. And the people seem to believe that both tragedies are tied to heinous sins committed that were left hidden. Kind of like in John 9 where uh, the guy's blind and even Jesus' disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, to result in his blindness? And Jesus says his blindness isn't tied to anybody's sin. He's, He's just blind. It's just part of the fallen world that we live in, right? Things aren't functioning the way that they should because we're sinners, So Jesus wants to correct that thinking, even though, again, it's an appealing thought, because if this is true, 
and I haven't experienced these type of tragedies, then I must be good. I must be more okay than they are. Jesus reminds us here that human tragedies are not always divine punishments. Sometimes they are, but not always. And you might could argue that most of the time they're not. Number two, all tragedies and deaths should be viewed as reminders of what is temporal and what is eternal. So in all cases, so sometimes tragedies and deaths, it's a direct uh, uh, form of punishment, right? Consequences of sin, maybe, but not always. Sometimes people are doing exactly what they should be doing. I read, I read from one commentator, a uh, missionary family who, who in their sleep overseas, trying to reach people who have never heard of Christ, die unexpectedly with, with like an avalanche. Right? You, you read that and you're like, why would God do that? We're, like, we're at a shortage of missionaries. Like, we don't have people that are just lining up ready to go. So when you have people that are ready to go who are on the mission field, why would God not spare them? It's not always divine punishment. Sometimes it is, but not always. But what is always true, I think Jesus would tell us, all tragedies and all deaths should be viewed as reminders to us of what's temporal and what's eternal. Tragedies should make us think. I put in my notes, our tendency needs to be that when uh, we hear of tragedies, we focus on whether we are ready for a similar fate should it come. When we hear these things, it should be less about, hey, what did they do and what happened over there and and how could that have been avoided? And more so, hey, this is a reminder to me that I'm in no way exempt from that happening to me. Am I ready if it were to? Jesus says, hey, you have an opportunity to repent and be ready for this. Didn't happen to you this time. You survived. What if it happens to you next? Are you ready? Don't be relieved. Tragedy didn't happen to you like you were counted okay. Instead, take opportunity to be warned you might not be okay. It may be something that God wants to get your attention about. The fact is, is that our stuff is going to be taken from all of us, and our lives are all going to end. Will we be ready for that day? Some people lost their stuff this week. They weren't expecting it, and, and it was taken from them. What's true is that we are all going to lose our stuff at some point. It is all going to get burned up. Maybe not this week, maybe not next week, but there is coming a day where all of our stuff will perish. There's coming a day where we will die unless Jesus returns. Will we be ready for that? It's not a time to doubt God's goodness, not a time to question someone else's faithfulness. Instead, we use these accounts to awaken ourselves to any areas of complacency where we have lost sight of an eternal perspective. Jesus says, use tragedy to remind you to quit looking at the earthly forecast and get back to looking at the heavenly forecast. Be reminded, am I being faithful? Am I living not just for this world, but for the world to come? Let tragedy and death call us to a state of being prepared, being right with God, to repent where repentance is needed. None of us are without sin, so we all better be ready for our own tragedy so we don't perish. Jesus says, look, don't worry about the whys about why this happened. Instead, worry about you and whether you are ready for something like that to happen to you. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says, use this delay in this type of thing happening to you to be ready for it, to repent of anything you may need to repent of. That leads us into finally number three, be fruitful with the advantages given to you. Be fruitful with the advantages given to you. He goes right into this parable now. In light of all that he has just told us, to be aware of the spiritual forecast, to be aware of where things are headed, to make sure that you're right with God, to use tragedies and deaths that you hear about, 
uh, through the news or through personal people just sharing it with you. Use those as reminders. Hey, I need to be ready. I need to be ready. Jesus could come at any moment. I could die at any second. Am I ready for those type of things to happen to me? And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What's happening here? Well, you have a fig tree that primarily represents Israel in the original context, but we can also lump uh, any religious people today that we know into that group as well. Because at that time, Israel would have been represented by believers and non-believers, right? And so they are pictured here as the fig tree that's unfruitful. It's unfruitful. Um, and, and fruit is always a dividing line between believer and unbeliever. And if you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus is saying something very similar here. Uh, or John is saying something for John the Baptist. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Look what he says in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. That's why this parable is meshed with Jesus' talk about repentance, because fruit and repentance go together. You know you have repented if fruit is born, right? You know that you've genuinely repented if you're bearing fruit. John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fruit is a dividing line between true believer and unbeliever. The owner is God the Father. The vine dresser is God the Son, Jesus. Now let's look at the purpose of this parable. The purpose of the parable is that we have been given great privileges and advantages to produce fruit for God. And he shows us grace and even more privileges and advantages when we fail. But at some point, we will be held accountable for whether we ever produce fruit in response to all he has done for us. We've been given great privileges, great advantages to produce fruit. He shows us grace and even more privileges and advantages when we fail. But at some point, we will be held accountable for whether we ever produce fruit in response to all he has done for us. So this tree has been given great advantages. It's been planted with great soil, been given all the opportunities to produce fruit, and it's got none. So the master says, we're going to cut it down. The vine dresser, Jesus says, give me a little bit more time. Let me till that ground up. Let me, let me put manure on it. Let me try to really get something going here over the next year. If we produce fruit, great. We want a great tree. If not, then we cut it down. That's what's happening in this parable. You could, you could summarize that by saying, bear spiritual fruit or risk being cut down. Number one, we must be willing to see all of the privileges and advantages given to us to better understand the expectations for us. Be willing to see all the privileges and advantages given to us to better understand the expectations for us. The picture here is this tree has all the resources and it's not producing fruit. It deserves to be chopped down because it's a waste of space. That's the picture here, is that this tree has every advantage possible to produce fruit, and it won't. Let's cut it down because it's a waste of space. It's like uh, items in your house that you keep hanging on to, 
and you never use them, but you feel like there's coming a day when you will need it, right? Uh, this is true for me in the area of clothing, right? My attic is full of clothes that I wore when I was smaller and bigger, right? And so I keep them because I think, hey, what if I put on more weight? I need to wear those clothes again. I'll have them in my attic, right? What if I lose weight and, I, and my clothes are too big, too big and I need smaller ones? I'll have them all in my attic, right? Never mind the fact that those clothes have been sitting in there for over a decade, and most of them are probably out of style by now. So whether my weight fluctuates or not, I'm probably not going into the attic to wear those clothes. I'm going to use money to buy new clothes, right? But I keep them. I have, this is ridiculous. I I thought about this as I was preparing. I have a whole section. My our closet's small. We have a lot of clothes in there, right? I keep my winter clothes and summer stuff in there all at the same time. I don't pack and move stuff, stuff around. So it's full. I have a whole section of a shelf, that is devoted to clothes that I will wear if anybody ever asks me to help paint, right? Like painting clothes. I don't ever paint, right? Like nobody ever calls me and says, hey, Adam, can you come help me paint my house? It just doesn't happen. It, 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 may, it may be used to before I had kids. Nobody ever calls me and says, hey, you want to paint? If you ever do, man, do I have a wardrobe for you that I will be ready to paint for you for days and not have to do laundry because I got all these clothes saved up for painting clothes, Right? We all have this stuff, this stuff that serves really no purpose. It's, it's helping us none. It's taking up space, and it needs to be removed, right? It needs to be donated. Get it out of there. I shouldn't complain about how small my closet is and how my stuff falls, and I don't have anywhere to put stuff when I have a whole section for painting clothes. Get it out. Remove it. That's what Jesus, that's what's happening here in this parable. It's like, hey, we got a fig tree, and it's not producing fruit. It's time to cut it down. It's wasting space. It's got all the resources, all the privileges, all the advantages, and yet it rejects it. Rejects it and does nothing, nothing with it. And it's a challenge to us to hear from the spiritual side of things because all of us, all of us are overwhelmed with spiritual advantages given to us. Most of you have grown up in Christian homes. If not, most of you have been in Bible-believing churches where the Word of God has been taught to you for years. And for some of us, we have squandered those privileges and advantages And the amount of fruit that we are showing doesn't measure up to the investment that's been made to us. Like we're still way far behind. Like the fruit that we're producing doesn't match the effort put forth by the vine dresser. We need to ask ourselves, am I taking up space? Am I wasting the advantages and resources or am I bearing fruit as I should? Spiritual privileges necessitate proportionate returns. Is fruit of my life proportionate to the privileges that have been shown to me? Am I taking up space or bearing fruit for God's glory? Jesus would challenge us today. Repent if you need to, if you're not showing fruit like you should. Look at the advantages and privileges given to you. Does the fruit match it? If not, you need to repent. Number two, we must be willing to see the level of accountability coming to us based on the privileges and advantages given to us. There's a level of accountability coming. Now, Jesus extends his patience as far as he can. He patiently extends all the opportunity needed for us to bear fruit of repentance. He gives extra time which we don't deserve. But what's evident to us in this parable is that at some point, the patience will run out. Jesus says, let's give it one more year. I'm going to till it up. I'm going to put manure on it. Then if it doesn't bear fruit, then we'll cut it down. The implication is that even even God's grace will run out on us. His patience will run out, right? He's showing kindness right now to lead us to repentance, but at some point there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment. Will we be ready for it? 
The parable's left open-ended. You don't know how the tree ends. Does the tree respond to the manure? Does it start to bear fruit after a year? We don't know. If it's tied strictly to the, to the future of Israel at this point, it doesn't. Right? Israel as a nation continues to reject their Messiah. Jerusalem falls about 40 years later. Judgment comes. For us, if we put ourselves into this position, we put ourselves as the tree, how will we respond after today? Will we evaluate? Will we evaluate where we're at? Are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing fruit towards repentance like John the Baptist talks about? The key application is to repent of what you need to repent of to be fruitful. Let's look at this last slide. Repentance is not an emotional confession or a confession attached to works. Right? It's not some type of emotional response that we need. It's not us trying to do better moving forward. It is admitting what God sees and says. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. One commentator said, repentance is recognizing you deserve to have a tower dropped on your head and choosing to live differently. Most of us would say, I don't deserve that kind of punishment. I don't deserve that kind of judgment. I don't deserve that kind of tragedy to happen in my life. I'm too good for that. God should never have a tower drop in my life. This commentator said, no, you need to see that your sin necessitates, it, 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 it warrants that you should. You should have a tower dropped on your head. You deserve that type of punishment. You've rebelled against the holy God. You have lived in sin. You have not been fruitful like you should be. God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ saves us from that type of destiny, right? And when we realize the gospel, we settle with God before we ever get to judgment day. We settle out of court, Right? We work it out to where we say, hey, Jesus is going to pay it for me. I don't have to go to court. I don't have to pay for it. I can be freed from this condemnation. I can be freed from this wrath. His blood shed for me. Now my blood doesn't have to be shed and mingled with other sacrifices. Like his blood counts for me. Jesus says, settle out of court. Settle before the day of judgment. See where spiritually everything is headed, right? Be aware. Be aware of what's coming and prepare for it. Be ready. Be ready and show fruit now. Repent and show genuine repentance through the fruit that you bear. The application for us today. Let recent tragedies you have heard of remind you that life is short, your stuff is temporary, accountability is coming, fruitfulness is expected, and if you need to repent of something, do so today in order to be ready before it's too late. Let recent tragedies you have heard of remind you that life is short. Your stuff is temporary. Accountability is coming. Fruitfulness is expected. And if you need to repent of something, do so today in order to be ready before it's too late. Jesus calls us to bear fruit. He calls us to repent where we need to. He says you've been given so many spiritual advantages and opportunities. So much has been given to you. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. Be ready for it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you for what you've taught us through these parables over the past several months. Lord, I pray that we would respond in the ways that you've called us to. Lord, help us not to just have heard story after story after story, only to have it fall on deaf ears. Lord, we want to have soil in our hearts that receives it well. We want our hearts to be exactly what Jesus does to this fig tree. We want the the soil to be tilled up, We want the manure to be applied. We want to bear as much fruit as we possibly can for you. Help us to do that. Lord, thank you that you have given us the option to settle out of court. You've made provisions so that we can be saved from your day of judgment. 
Lord, awaken us to that truth today. Lord, awaken our youth to it, our kids to it, if they've never responded to, to the gospel. Help them to see that today is the day that they need to repent. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You could come at any moment. We could die at any second. Lord, help us to see that and be ready for it. Lord, we pray for our friends and family members that are going through tragedies right now. Those that are grieving over death. Lord, protect us from ever thinking that we are better than people who have to go through those things because we're not. Lord, help us to see that tragedies and deaths are used by you to awaken complacent people. Lord, help us to see that as survivors of those things, there's a great chance that we are complacent to things and we need to repent. We need to have our minds recalibrated to things that are important. We need to be reminded that our stuff's temporal. We need to refocus on the things that are eternal. God, help us to leave today with a commitment to bear fruit for you, to put ourselves under your word, to hear it, to receive it, and to do it. Lord, help us to reconcile with people that we need to reconcile with if that's the case. Humble us. As much as it depends on us, help us to live at peace with other people. Help us to fix where we need to fix it. Lord, don't cut us down just yet. Pray that you would keep working and moving as you, as you promised to. You began a good work in us, Lord. We pray that you would finish it. This parable's been left open in it, but God, help us to complete it. Help us to complete it by being the type of trees that bear fruit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.